mindfulness mode? I really was hit over the head with a ton of bricks in just about every other aspect of my life. And I was not anticipating that. I thought I was adequately prepared. Hey, do you work in corporate or do you have a team of employees? Here's how you can reduce stress and increase happiness, productivity, and profitability in the workplace. Download this free resource. It's called 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. Once your employees are happier, productivity will increase. And you can download this resource for free right here at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace P with the P standing for productivity. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, do you have a son or daughter who is a college student or maybe a niece or a nephew or, or just somebody you know? Well, you probably are well aware of the fact that it can be very stressful. It can be really challenging in many different ways. And sometimes a college student who is thriving in one area may have challenges in another area. Well, today I'm really excited because I'm here to talk with an expert in this area, and she has done a lot of uh, successful study herself. She took a year-long practicum in positive psychology. She has a degree from Columbia University in clinical psychology and education. Wow, I am so excited to talk to Simone. I have Simone Figueroa here today with us. Simone, are you in mindfulness mode today? I most certainly am, Bruce. That's great. Well, Simone, I am excited to talk to you about, you know, college students and how we can help them thrive and and what they can do. But first, let's talk about mindfulness. What does mindfulness mean to you, Simone? Mindfulness is everything to me, Um, you know, so much so that I have gone on to make it my life's mission, like you, to, to bring its benefits and tenants to the world. But I'd say really at its core for me, mindfulness is a practice of getting connected. Um, It has allowed me to get really connected to my authentic self, in my relationships, to my higher self, my guides, the universe, nature, and just really the world at large. Well, let's dig in and talk about how you use mindfulness to help college students. I know you help them manage stress. Let's start there because Mm -hmm. it can be one of the most stressful times of life. It can also be one of the most amazing times of life. But how do you help college students to manage their stress, Simone? Yeah, you know, I think really what it comes down to, it's about empowering students and providing them with a suite of skills and tools to help them succeed in, I guess, the the social, emotional, mental areas of life, right? We do so much to help college students prepare academically and not much to help them in every other aspect. And I really feel like if we put as much attention as we do on their academic success on these other areas of life, it would only in turn 
greatly improve their academic success as well. And so I really think that we need to start looking at the whole student and helping them transition, right? This is an age, this is a time of a lot of transition, of a lot of trials and tribulations that college students just haven't been equipped to handle. And with the right tools, mindfulness being one of them, um, you know, what we do, it, it, it is really built upon three pillars of mindfulness, positive psychology, and self-compassion. And using different practices and tenets from those three fields, helping students have skills that they can use in real time to really deal with the trials and tribulations that are going to happen and are a natural part of that phase of life. Well, let's talk about self-compassion. Mm. Is this is this really that big a problem? Is it is it like they have not learned to love themselves effectively and, and the way they really need to? You know, I really think because of this academic pressure and, you know, that students from a very young age are taught, you know, in terms of that they need to really go after everything. And in order to succeed, they need to start, you know, building their resume from a young age. We really develop this inner critic. And for some people, it's there for everybody, but some people it's naturally louder than others. And I just feel like, especially in college, this voice sometimes becomes an overwhelming presence. And we sometimes don't even know that it's there, but it is having negative impacts on us. And other times we do have the wherewithal to like listen to that negative tape that's going over and over again. And I just feel like some people don't know that it doesn't have to be that way. And perhaps that inner critic might always be there. I, I don't know about you, but my inner critic is still <laughs> loud and vocal, but it's okay. So how do we acknowledge it? How do we attend to it and listen to what it's trying to tell us? And then how do we maybe redirect that thought pattern to use it to our advantage and to be more beneficial and not just coming at it from the negative side of things telling us that, you know, you're so stupid, right? There's a difference between maybe failing and being a failure. And I think self-compassion is the link that maybe can help shift from, you know, dealing with a setback and then viewing ourselves as being a, a failure. Yeah, I really hear you. And I, I call that inner critic your inner bully mm. when I when I work with yes. people because it really is like a bully, isn't oh, yeah. it, Simone? So how do you go about helping college students specifically with this? Do you have a tool for that? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate that we have an entire module with experts from across the United States um, in self-compassion, various psychologists and university professors and researchers who um, have dedicated their life's work to researching self-compassion and bringing it to others. And so I'm very fortunate that we got to partner with these different experts, Dr. Chris Germer, Dr. Karen Bluth, Dr. Mark Leary, and Dr. Tara Kuzanow. And really what um, one of the main things that um, they're teaching is that how do you be compassionate to yourself? And Dr. Um, Tara Kuzanow, she teaches college students how to name the inner critic to give it a name, whether it's, 
you know, a Judge Judy or a negative Ned or whatever you want to call it so that you can really quickly identify when it has come up. And by kind of disassociating from it and not um, having this person be your sole identity, it helps you to recognize that it's there and then to listen to what it wants and then to maybe use a different approach to helping you kind of accomplish whatever it is that it's trying to, to tell you. So that's one of the main ways is naming the, the inner critic and something else that she really shares is that a lot of times, right, when something negative happens, that's the first arrow, right? But we then as humans tend to throw a second and a third arrow at ourselves, which only compounds the problem and makes it worse. So if we can really start to see and take a step back and look at those second and third arrows that we're throwing at ourselves and really try to um, course correct and not do that, it helps us get out of that negative state of mind a lot faster. So that's really one of the main tools that we tend to teach uh, college students to, to how to really cultivate more self-compassion in their lives. Well, I know so many college students are learning their, their subjects online now. Yes. I know my son is. And so that, of course, creates more problems with trying to be social and just, you know, meeting new friends and building relationships that way. What uh, have you got to offer to help students in that area? You know, that's a really tough one, Bruce. Um relationships have been shown to be the number one predictor of a student's success in their first year of college and and throughout their persistence that they'll succeed and they'll continue and you know we know that isolation is one of the biggest um, contributors to depression anxiety just really mental negative mental health spaces and disorders and so Right now, you know, I think it's really important to remember that just because we are socially distanced does not mean that that should equate to social social isolation. And so, yes, absolutely FaceTiming or Zooming or doing things at afar is not the same as being in person, right? We are, as humans, we crave connection and, and physical touch and and really being picking up on people's energy. And sometimes that's harder online. But I think it's just unfortunate that we need to accept the fact that just because we are apart, we need to make that extra effort to still connect with people. And so really looking at what is your, you know, if we're specifically talking about college students, what is your school doing to still build community? Are they offering virtual club fairs, you know, um, you know, online, or are they doing different um, meets using different apps, whether it's Google, Google Hangouts to try to help you connect with a certain cohort of people and also really not losing touch with, you know, I know that college is supposed to be a time where we hopefully can really connect with like-minded people and really choose our friends, but really using this time to rely on maybe some of those really established existing connections that we have, whether it's with family or friends from childhood and setting a date to FaceTime to connect just to, even if it's to talk about, you know, all the crappy things that are going on and just to feel heard in your life, just really trying to still have that connection. And 
if possible, trying to do things at a distance with people, whether that's going on socially distanced walks or picnics in a park, right? Getting, trying to get creative with how we can still be around others and do it in a safe way. Simone, you have a, a master's in uh, clinical psychology and you also studied um, mind-body medicine, I understand. And I wonder, is there any place at all for college students in this whole area of nootropics. I know this is something mm. people are talking about these days. There are uh, different kinds of substances that can help with concentration or focus. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I'm a huge proponent. Um, I got, uh, you know, turned on to several different kinds of nootropics through my husband. He's very into the health space as well and has, has introduced me. And I do think, you know, that they can do wonders in terms of really kind of helping to boost certain, you know, neurotransmitters and the way that our brains work. I definitely think, though, that this is something that you would want to work with somebody and not just venture into trying things yourself because sometimes every individuals unique and one person can have a really positive experience and the other person, you know, maybe it actually does the exact opposite thing of what they're trying to negate. I know for me, um, GABA, a, a neurotransmitter um, that, or, you know, something that helps with neurotransmitters and can help with anxiety, it actually increases my anxiety. So I think there's a really fine line where yes, for some people, nootropics it can definitely help. But I also feel like you need to have this understanding that there's no one size fits all. And that's with anything across the board, whether it's with your meditation practice or your mindfulness or certain supplements that you take. And so really being cognizant of that. And, and if you go into it with that perspective and really trying to um, have an awareness of the impact that these things are having on you, then I think, you know, absolutely. Why not give it a try? Right. Well, what are your thoughts on marijuana? That's legal in Canada now and in some states. And I know that for some students, marijuana is kind of the new alcohol and it seems to be very popular. And, uh, you know, like I have my own thoughts on that, but what are your thoughts you know, I think it's a very gray area, to be honest, because, again, just going back to the fact that different people are impacted differently. Some people use a substance and it really greatly, you know, helps them with their anxiety or, you know, m marijuana specifically, or maybe if they're experiencing pain or it really just kind of helps calm things down the, the nervous system and anxiety, whereas other people, you know, it might make them very unproductive. They might not be able to do well in school because they're abusing it. And so I think it's this very sticky situation um, where, you know, again, it has its benefits. It comes from nature for some people and for other people, not so much, you know, so that's really kind of how I feel ab about it. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a really gray area. Yeah. Simone, you are so passionate about helping college students and so much so that you founded the company called You Thrive Educational Services. And I think that's absolutely wonderful how you're helping college students. But can you tell Mindful Tribe more about how you formed this organization, when you put it together and, and uh, you know, just a little bit about the background. And I will mention it's you, the letter U, Thrive Education 
Thrive.com. That's where you can find You Thrive Education Mindful Tribe. So tell us more about your company that you founded, Simone. Thank you for asking uh, about it, Bruce. This is something I'm so passionate about. I could talk about it forever. Um, You know, I myself really struggled as an undergraduate student, Um, not academically. I was doing great in that arena. Um, A go-getter, a type A student, I was getting straight A's, but I really was hit over the head with a ton of bricks in just about every other aspect of my life. And I was not anticipating that. I thought I was adequately prepared Um, for college, but I quickly became very stressed, very overwhelmed, very depressed. And from the outside looking in, my life looked, you know, quote unquote, perfect. As I said, I was getting straight A's. I had joined a sorority and made great friends. My family and friends, you know, back home were happy and healthy and everything was going well. But I just wasn't happy. There was something that was missing. And I, um, feel very fortunate. I had an open relationship with my parents and I was able to share these struggles that I was going through. And I did end up going for therapy, which did wonders, but it really got me back to baseline, so to speak. And it wasn't until my junior year in college that I'd say I really went from kind of surviving to thriving. And I attribute that wholeheartedly to the fact that I happened to stumble upon a credit bearing course in mindfulness called mindful living. And this was back in the day before there was this movement to focus on the whole student. Um, This was not advertised. And I really just viewed it as like a real sign from the universe. And I took this class and it completely changed my life, how I related to myself, the stresses that I was going through, my connections with others. And I remember distinctly thinking at the time, wow, I wish I learned these skills earlier. I feel like it would have saved me so much struggle and strife. Why are we not taught this going into college? Why is this not part of the fundamental education that we learn like math and physical fitness and reading? And it obviously ultimately ended up changing the the trajectory of my career. Um, I, you know, spent several years in the health and wellness industry, starting up a spirituality department at a health and wellness resort in Arizona called Canyon Ranch. But I ultimately ended up going back to school, um, as you shared with listeners, to get my master's in clinical psychology at Columbia University. And I had the opportunity, I felt this this nudge, like I needed to take this year-long practicum in positive psychology. And it wasn't super easy because I was living in Arizona. My schooling was in New York. And by choosing to do this, that meant I had to travel back and forth um, between Arizona and New York more frequently than I otherwise would have. But I took this uh, year-long practicum and it really just came full circle and reminded me of the power of learning about um, heart-based skills in an academic environment like I had in my undergraduate career at the University of Florida. And I became so fascinated that I did my master's thesis on this. And I realized that most of the efforts were being geared towards K through 12. Not enough, but at least any efforts that I stumbled upon were. And nothing was being done for college students. And I just, this research coupled with my own personal experience as an undergraduate student 
led me to say, I don't want to just research this and produce a, a paper on the need for this. I want to be the individual that is helping to bring this change to college campuses to help college students transition to give them the skills they need proactively before crises arises to adequately cope with the trials and tribulations they're going to face. And so that's really how um, You Thrive started. I was put in touch uh, with my through my professor in this positive psychology practicum, Dr. Dan Tomasulo. He, um, I shared my dreams and my hopes for turning this into um, a business, and he put me in contact with his two friends and colleagues at New York University, Dr. Alan Schlechter and Daniel Lerner, who teach the most popular elective there, The Science of Happiness, and they've written a book on this subject matter, and it was just one of those meant to be connections, and together we um, formed a partnership and created these programs to bring to college campuses. So that is so exciting. I want to know if I were a college student and I went to your website, youthriveeducation.com, then what would I find and how would I get started and what would the process be to help me with these areas at college? So as of right now, um, our, um, our model is we work with higher education institutions. So we provide the programming to college campuses to then give to their college students, whether that's through orientation or through their first year experience departments or through academic success courses. And so as of right now, um, there isn't a way for students to self-pace go through the program. Um, you know, but my my what I would say is that to advocate on college campuses to make this curriculum and this kind of programming a natural part, like how students have to go through alcohol education and drug education and sexual misconduct prevention education, they should be going through mental well-being training. It should happen. And so we are trying to have more people advocate on their campuses for them to adopt this kind of programming. And so it just becomes, in my ideal world, this would be mandatory programming for students coming in to, to college. Uh, yeah, well, I want to know what you were like as a child going back that may have foreshadowed where you've ended up with this work you do. What were you like as a seven-year-old girl? I was a very precocious, outgoing individual um, who just really viewed the world with such a sense of awe and, and wonderment. And I felt like I could do anything, even from a young age. And I really attribute that and am so grateful that my, my parents really spent a lot of time and attention cultivating that belief in me. And I was a go-getter. I was very type A. I needed to be the best, but not from, of course, there was some competitive standpoint, but it was really more me against me. I put, even from a young age, so much self-inflicted pressure on myself to succeed. And I'm putting that in air quotes, right? Because I think success is um, the way we define it. It can mean very different things. And I think what I define success as now is very different then maybe not when I was seven, but you know, when I was kind of in, in my teenage years, but yeah, I just was a very vivacious 
young girl that I always knew I wanted to make a difference in some way, but didn't really know what that even meant. So Simone, do you meditate yourself? What does your meditation look like if you do? Yes, I meditate every single day. That was not always the case. Um, But it is one of those things that uh, the benefits for me are so visible and so profound. It is like brushing my teeth. I with the exception of maybe if I'm, you know, on vacation with friends or something, I have a set routine. I meditate every single morning. My meditation practice tends to vary. And I think that's one of the beautiful things and misconceptions. People think there's only one way to meditate sitting on a cushion with your legs crossed and um, they give up because they think they're doing it wrong. And so something that I think one of the biggest gifts of meditating is there are so many different forms and to find what works with you and to also accept the fact that what worked for you yesterday or two years ago or two months ago might not be what works for you today. So the way I know when I need to kind of switch things up is when my meditation practice becomes a chore because it should be something that you want to do and that you enjoy, even if it's for only five minutes. So, yep, I have a, a very consistent meditation practice every single morning. Oh, that's wonderful. I know you have a pet. You have a dog named Diesel. What has Diesel taught you about mindfulness? Oh, my God. I am so glad that you ask that because I always say to people, really truthfully, there is no easier way for me to get into mindfulness than when I'm with my dog. My dog, just he himself is obviously we can learn so much from dogs, but they're very mindful. They are doing what they're doing and they're with their own experience. And when I'm with him, it is aside from the breath, I'd say those two are hand in hand. It is the easiest way for me to not even remotely think about where I was just coming from or maybe stressors I had earlier in the day and, you know, my to-do list and what I need to do later. And I feel like I've always felt that way about my dog Diesel and it's we have a really neat way of how we got him but um he is 13 and a half now and he's a pit bull so that is very old for uh, a dog his size and so even now I every single day multiple times a day I am just so with him I am so present and it really is such a gift and I use that in other areas of my life to really help me kind of snap out of it and get back into the present moment. Wow. Well, that's great. I love dogs too. And I know that they can really make a difference and really be a strong mindfulness influence in your life. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Simone, I always ask a question about bullying. Do you have a story that you can share with us where mindfulness would have maybe made a difference? Ooh, you know, I, in sixth grade, um, I was 11 years old, and that was a really, really tough year for me. I I feel fortunate that it was just one grade year that I was bullied. Um, And when I think back to it now, you know, I really feel like I tried to compartmentalize and maybe put away some of the feelings that I felt. Um, I feel like I knew I was just chronically sad. I would eat lunch alone until I took it upon myself to try to find a new group. What what happened was I had a, a, a group of friends and they just one day decided they didn't want to be my friend anymore. And one of those individuals was my best friend in the world who still is my best friend today. And that's the only 
rift or argument we've ever gotten in, in 22 years. Um, but when I look back, I think I'm really proud of myself as a young girl that I was practicing mindfulness maybe when I didn't even know it. I, I feel mm-hmm. like maybe we are naturally mindful and then we lose some of that as we you know, become more conditioned in our human experience. But I think back to how I didn't project. I didn't think like, oh my God, is this going to, am I never going to have friends again? Or is this going to go on forever? I didn't, you know, really think, wow, there must be something wrong with me. So, you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that I absolutely felt sad and maybe I could have been more mindful. But really when I think back to it, I, I do feel like I was implementing mindfulness without without even knowing what that was. Wow, that's that's incredible. And so at the time, you didn't take that on as, oh, there's something the matter with me or why is, you know, something like that. You just kind of moved through it. Is that right? Yes, I would say yes. I mean, I definitely would say, why is this happening to me? But I think there's a difference. Why is this happening to me versus what is wrong with me? And I never made that shift. And I feel really fortunate. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what about my experience led me to not really internalize that and go down. And mind you, I've had many other, other struggles and self-esteem issues and things I've dealt with, you know, throughout my, my teen years, but the bullying aspect in particular, I feel like I just felt like these girls are being really nasty for no reason. And I need to just stay true to, to who I am and, and try to understand that and try to just stay with that, that I'm, I'm not doing anything mean. I'm being really nice. And if I can just, you know, stay with that feeling and knowing then I you know, th- this will end at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so awesome to hear that, to hear that you were able to move through it that way. Now, I want to, speaking of challenges, ask you about youthriveeducation.com. So Mindful Tribe, it's the letter U, thriveeducation.com. But uh, I want to ask you, what were some of your biggest challenges putting together and co-founding that company? I feel very blessed to say, and maybe I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses because I'm just so passionate about what I do that the whole process of getting our programs off the ground was pretty seamless. I feel so humbled that 32 different academics and researchers and psychologists from institutions across the country believed in our mission, saw our vision, saw the need for this and willingly gave gave of their time and expertise to bringing this content to college students. I feel like, honestly, like, and hopefully this doesn't sound too woo-woo, but the universe was really, had a guiding hand throughout the whole process. I was open to receiving whatever information and direction this was meant to turn in. We partnered with people, even down to our production team. They were guys that had their own meditation practice, right? And, And that wasn't a criteria for selecting who we worked with. It just so happened that that is who was put in our path and we ended up working together. So there was so much love and conscious energy going into the creation of the programs that 
really there wasn't a struggle. I'd say what the biggest struggle has been has has really been right now, right? I mean, there has been this mental health crisis on college campuses for quite some time and colleges were starting to recognize it. We're starting to actively and proactively want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And now more than ever, we're in this very peculiar time, you know, to say the least, right? Where now more than ever, this kind of content is needed to help weather these tremendously difficult storms, even more difficult than college always is. But colleges are also figuring out how are we going to stay afloat? How are we going to keep our doors open? How are we going to keep our students physically safe? And and all this back and forth, there is just so much upheaval and so much uncertainty that the mental health aspect, when it really needs to be at the forefront, in some cases is being put to, to the wayside. And so I think that's been our struggle is really trying to help colleges understand that right now, now more than ever, this is what you need to be providing to your students, hands down. Right. Well, as we move forward in the interview, Simone, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And so 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Okay, I'm going to have to give two. <laughs> my parents, uh, for sure, people I know. And then Mickey Singer, Michael Singer, the author of The Untethered Soul. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Simone? Wow, um, I would say they've dampened them when they need to be dampened. And they've heightened them when they need to be heightened. So helping me ride out the negative emotions in life and also helping me really appreciate and savor the positive ones. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Breathing is the greatest gift. If we're breathing, we're alive. And it is the tool that we have with us everywhere we go. And it's the easiest, quickest way we can drop into the present moment by taking a few quick, deep breaths. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? I know you mentioned Michael Singer's book. but Without a doubt. Another. I keep copies yeah. of it. I, I distribute it to people all the time. Um, that one... Uh, I would say uh, The Power of Now was the first book I ever read by Eckhart Tolle and recently Living in Flow by Catherine Crame. Oh, okay. We'll put all of those books in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. One more question about this. What is an app that you maybe use or that you know of that can help with mindfulness? <laughs> I guess because I'm a millennial that I, I probably the expectation or the thought is that I'd be using many, many apps, but I personally don't uh, use any apps specifically with my, my mindfulness practice, but I do always recommend um, really any of the guided meditation apps, whether it's Calm or Headspace or Insight Timer um, as a way to start to really have a, a guiding hand and helping you sit down and, and have a formal practice. Right. Yeah. They're all great ways all to get them. started. Yeah. yeah, they really are. They really are. Well, I think it's fantastic what you're doing for students and, uh, you know, any institution who doesn't have your program, they need to be looking at it and uh, thinking about implementing it, you know, because I know it could help so many people and I know it does help so many people. Do you have any final words of advice to college students who are moving through their college experience right now, Simone? Yeah, I, I feel like I would say 
find your passion. Don't worry about what you think you should be doing and what other, the pressures other people put on you and really take the time to enjoy the experience and to engage in something that you enjoy on a daily basis to never lose sight of some form of self-care. Yeah, what great advice. Well, thanks so much for being on Mindfulness Mode today, Simone. Thanks, Bruce. It was a pleasure. Thanks. All the best to you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about whether you work in corporate, have teams of employees, and you want to reduce stress with those employees and help them to be more productive. You can download the free resource, 10 Simple and Effective Ways to Increase Mindfulness in the Workplace Now. And once your employees are happier and you know, productivity will increase. Download the free resource at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash workplace p so remember subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air till next time mindful tribe use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode <laughs>